Good morning. As David said, I'm Mike. I'm one of our pastors here. And it's my pleasure to bring our word this morning. As, as we said the last couple of times, we are returning to the book of Mark. And we will finish the book of Mark, if you don't know, the week after Easter. So it'll culminate as Mark does, and then the Great Commission will be the following week, and then we're moving on to a new series. But, so there, but there are a few more, uh, chapter 14, 15, 16, are to, to, you know, to end. And we're, obviously, we're in the last week of Jesus' life. And today, we come to the table. We come to a meal, right? And one of the things I love about my wife's family is we eat well. When we're there... On the way there, seriously, they'll call and like, hey, we got one for dinner, you know? And then typically there's this idea of we know exactly what we're going to have. And then every year we have an oyster roast. Often there's a hog roast, or at least the benefits of it when we get there. And, you know, there are these different things that we all look forward to at Thanksgiving and Christmas, just like many of you, right? And I love it because there we eat really well. And it's not because we're unhealthy, but there they love family, And when they get together, it's amazing how much of the extended family and how many friends are typically at our table. It is a loud, crazy house. There are dogs everywhere. There are kids everywhere. There are people everywhere. And and there's something about a meal that just brings us together, right? And even if you've been coming to City Church for a while, or if you're new with us, I'd I'd even want to tell you that if you want to get to know us at Newcomers, come have a meal with us. It's a Newcomers lunch. It's a luncheon. Membership. It's breakfast and a lunch, actually. We do two meals there twice. <laughs> and when we want you to know where we believe God has, where he's had us and where he's taken us, we have what we call a vision dinner, dinner right? Because sharing a meal together brings us together. There's something about that environment that unites our hearts, that brings us together. Jesus, on his last night with his disciples, he shares a meal with them. He shares a meal. And he does something in this meal, friends, that no one else has ever done. In the Passover, Jesus inserts himself. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to look today at a little context. We're going to talk about Passover just for a moment. And we're going to talk about where Jesus inserts himself and brings changes to the Passover and why that's important for us and why it's so important that every week when you come in here, our hope is that that you will expect this service to culminate in that meal. That that will be the centerpiece of our time is your encounter with Jesus there. Not this. Not the singing. That. That's where he promises to meet us, is at his table. And here is the place where it's inaugurated. It's where he brings, he, he brings in the new covenant here in this passage, in our text. And so we're going to jump in. We're going to look at a little context. We read the context in Exodus 12. That was our Old Testament reading. And that was just a, a, a quick summary of what is the Passover, right? And so remember, there were all the plagues. And the Pharaoh kept letting, letting God's people go and then bringing them back. And finally, the final plague was that the firstborns would be killed. And it's a terrible plague. That the angel of death would come through and every firstborn animal and human would die. And there was, there was one way 
for that not to happen to your home. And in that way, what would happen is you would take a spotless lamb, it would be sacrificed, and you would take the blood and you'd put it over the door. You'd put it there, and the angel of death, as he passed over, right, if he saw the blood, you were to take shelter under the blood of the lamb. His blood was spilled so that your blood wouldn't have to be. That's what Exodus is all about. It's about that Passover, when God passed over his people. Now, the Passover had basically three... It it became a a liturgy, right? A drama. The people of God would reenact it because in Exodus 12, he says, do this. Even when you enter the land, do this in remembrance. Reenact it. Remember. And so at the beginning, there was a preparation of the homes, right? And they would get all the leaven, which makes dough rise. They would get it out of the house, right? And they would eat this unleavened bread. And, And friends, this was not for joy. This was bitter, this was, they, they would have the bitter herbs with it as well because they want them to remember the affliction. This was the bread of the affliction. This is what you ate in slavery and quickly when you left. And so we, we want your heart to go back to remember what God brought you out of. It's almost like what we're saying in Ash Wednesday. Let's remember, right? Remember how bad it was. And then the next stage was the lamb would be sacrificed. The high priest would sacrifice the lambs, the families would take them and eat them together, and then other herbs and things on the 14th day. And finally, what they call the seder, 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 there we go, seder, seder. Um, would the Passover seder, the ceremonial meal would happen, and here we would have four cups of wine. And each cup of wine would represent a stage of the seder, Right? Um, and during the Seder, the leader, the, fam- the father typically, or the leader at the table, would, would, as he would give you the cup, he would explain what would happen at the beginning, in the middle, all the way to the end of, of God taking his people out. And so it was a reenactment that they would engage in, enact in, in that moment to remember well, to remember that I'm the Lord God that brought you out. That was Passover. And now, just when we think Jesus is bringing a new language, actually he's borrowing from the old language. He's entering, he's entering into this time, and he's, he wants to have Passover with them before he leaves. And they had no idea. They're like, okay, when, how do we go prepare this for you? He had already had it. He dealt with it ahead of time. We don't know how. But, but we know there was a man with a jar that would be in the city. And you know Why? Because only women carry jars. And so the man with the jar would be a signal to them. And you know why they needed a signal? Because people wanted to kill Jesus. And he wanted to make sure this meal happened before he was taken. And so quietly, there was a man with a jar. And they followed this man to his home, and it's prepared already. And then they finish the preparations as the disciples come. Jesus insisted for this to quietly happen. Something very important would happen here. So, Jesus now inserts himself into the liturgy. And the first way he does that, as as the leader would unfold the drama, right? He says this, he would pick up the bread and he would say, this is the bread of the affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. It's, again 
to remind them of the bitterness, of the slavery, of the bondage. Jesus takes the bread of the affliction. Instead of, instead of saying that, what does he say? This is my body. My body, instead of the bread of the affliction, my body will, will be the affliction. You see it? And, and the word he uses is the Greek word soma. There's another word for flesh. So when people say flesh, it's actually more than flesh. Soma means body. This is my body and soul. My personhood, me, my very being will be the bread of the affliction. It'll, I'm the new bread of it. So instead of slavery, you will get me. I love doing the table. You know, you know, I do it every week pretty much, unless I'm preaching and Scott just happens to be here, which is a, you know, that's like a unicorn. <laughs> um, but when I do it, I love to tell you that we take the table and it's, it's like a meal in the sense like, like Jesus, well, it's like when we eat out there, right? The way we need food to become energy so that we can live, we need Jesus in our souls, our souls leak, and we need him to fill us and to connect with us and to grow us so that we can go out and love well spiritually, emotionally, physically. So just as we need food, we need Jesus. And that's, I, I love telling you that because our, our soul, in the same way, guys, we hunger. And Jesus in, you know, well, the Passover, the Passover in speaking to slavery, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I love showing people this, that, that, this page right here is the page between Malachi and Matthew. I don't know why I like telling people this, but I do. Um, that little guy right there. That, so the Old Testament, New Testament. Old Covenant, New Covenant. Right? That one page represents 400 years. It's 400 years of God's silence. He didn't speak. People thought God had given up on people altogether. There's no prophets. No one. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. Do you remember what John the Baptist says? Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. First thing he says, right? That one page, 400 years, remember, they're in slavery 400 years. God sends Moses. 400 years of silence, God sends Jesus. Jesus is, he's saying something that happened here was pointing to the fullness that's happening now. I am the new Moses. And when there, there was a slavery that was physically true of God's people, but that pointed spiritually to the slavery that every human has had since Adam. It's a slavery that we all have that the the next 400 years even exposes more that Jesus says the old covenant couldn't deal with. It tried, but you need a better covenant. And this slavery, friends, it goes like this, right? That whatever, there's a hunger in all of us, and that whatever we take and try to satiate that hunger with, we will be enslaved to it. Whatever it is. That there is an ultimate need in every single one of us. And whatever we take, whether it's money, sex, marriage, friendship, work, you just take whatever it is, no matter how good or bad it is, over time as you give your heart to it, it begins to shape you. It begins to determine, do you have joy now or do you not? When I have money, I have a lot of joy. When I don't, I'm panicking, right? When your job's going well, I'm at the top of the world. And when it's not going well, I have no joy. 
right? It, become, it begins to shape us until finally it devours us. So what we devour in our hunger devours us. That's the ultimate slavery that the old covenant could not deal with. And Jesus says you have a deep hunger. And I, I do want to stop and say right here, guys, that the church over the years in speaking against the sin that we use to deal with that hunger, sometimes we slap our hand because we're hungry. And that's not what we're made to slap. We're supposed to be hungry when we don't have him. And there are certain things you're supposed to desire. I had a friend call me this week, actually. He's engaged. And he called me and he poured out his heart because he's been in some deep sin with his, with his fiance. They have gone everywhere except there. Right? And he was in weeping in tears over this. And he's given me permission to tell you this. Weeping. And I began to talk to him about the sorrow he feels and the shame he feels and the sin. And we, we talked about Jesus going there, right? But then you know what I did? I began to bless his desire. Your desire for her is wonderful, actually. How it feels to be touched is amazing. Let's don't, let's don't curse the body. Let's don't curse the good gifts God's given us. It's actually the, what, what we go to to get them instead of him. When we go and, and our lives become disordered around that thing to meet those hungers instead of him using his order to meet them, right? And so let's not, let's not punish the hunger, but instead look at the slavery we've been in that Jesus is meeting here. He says, it's my body. I'm the bread now. So he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it. No longer will you live in the grip of slavery. Take me into yourself. Fill yourself with me. I will deal with the longing and the hunger in your heart. Remember Isaiah 55 says, why do you waste? Why, why do you go use your money for food that does not satisfy? Turn to him. Isaiah 55 is talking of him. Feast on me and you will be free. That's the beauty of what the gospel's promise is. He's, but remember, he must go in our hearts. You know what? You know what? The, well, we'll get there. He, he must go in, right? And, and when he goes in, he leads to freedom, salvation, redemption. That's what he's saying here. This is my body, my being, my person. Take me into yourself. Let me become life for you. Secondly, Verse 23, he takes the wine, he says, he took, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and, and they all drank it. And again, remember, he hangs, he, there's the bread, it's the bread of affliction, and now there are four cups in the Passover, right? The, the book of Luke tells us which cup we're at. This is the third cup. So two cups have happened which means the, the, the preparation cup, and now the, the cup where he explains all of what God did, and now they get to the third cup, and this cup is called, well, I'll give you all four of the cups. The first cup, every cup is represented, is a representative of a promise that God made to Moses. So the first promise, he said, I will bring you out of the yoke of Egypt. That was the first cup, right? So the cup of sanctification. The second cup, I will set you free from slavery. That's the cup of deliverance. The third cup, that's the cup we're at. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will redeem you. The cup of redemption. The fourth cup is the cup of Elijah. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. 
they believe Elijah would come back and he would be a sign that the Messiah is now here. Right? So the leader would pour the wine, he would recite the promises, and again, Luke tells us that after dinner, he took the cup, which means we're on the third cup. And here, this is the cup of redemption. And now, maybe you're like me, I don't, I don't know when you read the Old Testament, I don't know, has anyone ever read the whole, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you've read the whole Old Testament, there's a lot of blood. I mean, a lot of blood. And if you haven't read it, there's, there's way more than you're even thinking right now. Every time they do something, they're killing something, right? It's everywhere. It's like cringe-worthy. It's like, why all the blood? Why is there so much blood all the time? Or what's wrong with you, God? Why do you need so much blood? Why would you kill all these animals and all these people? So why all the blood? Friends, at the beginning in Genesis, if you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. God promises that when sin enters, death must happen. Blood is the payment of sin. It's what sin deserves. And we, I can't mosey around that, guys. <laughs> I, I, it's what it deserves. And so you know why there's so much blood in the Old Testament? It's because there's so much sin. There's so much nastiness. There's so many hearts far from God. That's why there's so much blood. In the Old Covenant, what God did is he, let, he allowed an animal to, take the, to atone for the sins of people for a time. But you know the problem? It couldn't change the person. It couldn't deal with that inner hunger and slavery that was in their hearts. And so it was a temporary atonement meant to deal with, meant to point to something greater in the end. So there's so much blood because sin is ceaseless. And God has to be just. He's a just God. And so we get to verse 24. And when he had said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. John the Baptist said, it's the lamb. He's the lamb. He's the, it's his blood that will now be spilled. Not all of these animals' blood anymore. His blood will be spilled. And so the third cup, when he raises it, he changes it from that blood to now, no, it's this blood. This, my blood. And here is where Jesus inaugurates the kingdom. It's where he's saying the new covenant is. This is the blood of the new covenant. A different covenant. A better covenant. Because now we have a better Moses. We have better bread. We have all, everything is better in this covenant. It's what we've all been longing for. It's what we've needed. Jesus is promising that he can do what the old covenant can never do, friends. He could deal with the hunger. He could deal with the slavery. The angel of wrath and death will pass over us because it won't pass over him. He will be the one that dies. Now, in my text, in our text, we have this strange part that I skipped. I don't know if you noticed Judas. That's part about Judas, right? We, we all know, it doesn't mention him in here as the betrayer, but we know Judas is the betrayer. And so, I know it's out of order, but I want you to, knowing all that we know now, let's, let's think about, right before he makes these changes, he says, one of you will betray me. And, and, and then next week you'll see, actually all of you will betray me. 
and especially you, Peter. Right? So sandwiched between the two betrayals is this new covenant, this language of the Lord's Supper, which is beautiful. I wish I could preach all of that. I can't. But we have this, we have this there right before, right? And it's, it's squeezed in there. And I've, I've thought a lot about the, this this week. As a matter of fact, I gave a lot of, I don't know, just this bothered me all week. Why is it right here? Why does Jesus do it right? So he's in the middle of Passover. He's one cup, two cup. He's explaining everything. So Judas hears the redemption that God has done. Judas hears all that, right? And just before the third cup, one of you is going to betray me. Why here? Why, why, why does he do it here? Well, I, I read a lot on this. One of the biggest reasons is, Judas, I see you. I see you. But why not like David, guys? Remember in David? David commits adultery, then has the husband killed, and then Nathan comes, remember? And he tells him that that crazy parable about, you know, this man's got all these sheep, this man's got one sheep, and, you know, and he wants the one sheep, and so he kills him and takes his sheep. And David says, that man should be killed. And Nathan says, you're that man. Why does Jesus not go, Judas, you are that man? Why does he not do that? Everything I've read says it's because he's kind and that he's gentle and that his heart is for Judas to repent. If he, if he says Judas, you know, if he, if he goes out just straight at him, what does Judas probably do? You know, we don't know because it didn't happen, but th- there is something pastoral, something very gentle, something very loving and radical about how Jesus does this and in inviting him. It's... As one commentator says, it's Jesus' final act of courtesy to Judas. You just heard about how much God loves you. And I'm going to tell you right now that you're about to betray me. And then I'm going to tell you what I'm willing to do for you. You know what's sad though, friends? When he says this, Judas leaves. Judas never gets to hear this. Did you know that? He gets up and he walks out. And this is a hard part of the passage, guys, because Jesus isn't talking to Pharisees. He's not talking to the religious elites. He's talking to the people that are closest to him. One of you will betray me. Do you know what every person in that room does according to our text? Is it me? Am I the one? And there's surely it's not. No, is it me? You know? And, and by doing it this way, he's having them all stop and go, is it me? And you know what he's also doing? He's inviting all of us. Is it me? Is it us? Will we betray him too? You know? And you know why he does it right here? Because you know when betrayal typically happens? It's when life gets hard. And you know what's about to happen, guys? Life's about to get really freaking hard for them. Life's about to fall apart. Everything they thought they were about to get, it's going away. The exact opposite, which they can't seem to get their mind around, that that if you want to go up, you're going to have to come down. If you want life, it's got to go through death. They can't get their mind around it, and life's about to cost them everything. And what will happen? What will they do with that? This is my body, broken for you. It'll be my blood shed for you. And Judas didn't get to hear it, friends. He didn't get to hear it. So you know what he did? 
he, threw, he, he ends up throwing the silver back at some point. And I hope I'm not skipping ahead to one of the other texts that we're supposed to preach later. Forgive me, Scott, if you hear this. But he throws the silver down. You know what he does next? He takes his own life. His blood is spilled. Friends, we have to hear this. Our neighbors, our friends, we, we, we have to hear this. But do you hear how merciful he is? And how gentle he is? Listen, you will betray me. You, you will pick your hunger over me every single time. Not just you, Judas. All of you will do that. But do you know what I'm willing to do? I, I will be the affliction. I'll be the one afflicted instead of you. The angel of death, when it comes for you, it will get me instead of you. Do you see now how the disciples become the men God have created them to be? It's because they listened. Every single one of them fails him. They all give in. They all run away. They're all cowards. They all betray him. One takes his own life. The rest of them, the resurrection does something to them. Because what Jesus said, and then the Holy Spirit coming, this little message here, right here, guys, we get it too. We get it too. And let me tell you how. And I'll close here in a moment. Uh, see, communion, friends, it's not like the sacrificial system. Sacrificial system, you sin, animal has to die. You sin again, animal has to die. Oh yeah, you sin again, animal has to die. Jesus says no. Remember at the cross? What's the last thing he says? It is finished. It's over. This blood will pay for all past, present, and future sin. It is over at the cross. It's finished. And so, Here, this is not appeasement. This is an act of worship and connection to the one who finished it. It's to remember what he did, like the Passover, to remember it and to have that union and connection filling you so that when you leave here, you have energy, you have love, you have life to go give every time. Now, I say at the end, Jesus promises that he won't drink from this cup again. He says that. I will not drink from it again until I come back. The fourth cup was put in the middle of the table and nobody touched it. Nobody touched it because it was the, it was the Messiah one. Some people say it was touched finally when they got into the promised land. Others say, no, they, you know, a, lot of them, a lot of Jews don't believe in Jesus, so it's never been touched. Jesus says, I'm going to drink it with you. But I'm going to drink it when I come back in fullness. When I come back, we're going to drink it. And it's going to be a day. The heaven and earth is going to unite. And there's going to be unity and perfection like, like never before. No more blood. No more sin. No more slavery. Only freedom and truth forevermore. I will drink that with you when I come back, he says. That's our hope, friends. That's the hope of the third cup sends us to the fourth, and we're waiting on that fourth cup. That's our hope. So, again, I don't know how you come, but I know by not drinking the fourth cup, the table's open. The table's open. That every time now Christians participate in this table, we're participating in that first table. That you're not coming through up here, going through the motions and just doing a ritual. Jesus says that right now he has a body. He's at the right hand of God, alive. 
and that here, he's not going to come die again. Instead, he's going to lift us up to be with him, to give us more of a glimpse into the new heavens and new earth of what's coming, to make us more and more like him. And so, friends, this morning, if you know him, we're going to invite you to this table, and we'll do that in a moment. But I want to leave you, it's just going to be a quick word, actually. I want to leave you, what's the one directive Jesus gives in the passage? Take and eat. Drink. That's That's all it is. He says, come hungry. That's the only directive he gives. Nothing else. There's, bring your hunger and let him fill it. And so are you hungry? What have you been turning to to meet that hunger? Are you hungry for him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, thank you that you were committed before you left to taking us to this table and for showing us the fullness of your body and the blood that was shed that brings in this new covenant, Jesus. This one where we get to simply come hungry and take and eat and drink. And I pray, Jesus, that, that as we move to confession, that you will show us, you will convict us of the places where we've turned instead of you, the places where our hearts are bound, and that we would hear you provoking us to trust you. Lord, I pray there would be no Judas in here, that no one would walk away with a hard heart, unwilling to hear how kind and how gentle and how compassionate you are. Instead, would you be words of life for those hearts that are hard for my heart, Lord. Feed us deeply, Lord, we pray for your name's sake. Amen.